welcome, a very formal welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is October 4, 2021, and Torah portion is Noach. This week we have the Great Flood. Last week we learned about creation and about the origins of humanity, and things were kind of okay-ish until Adam and Eve arrived on the scene and decided to do their own thing. Sin of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, banishment from paradise. We read last week about the generations, the ten generations from Adam to Noah, and how they began to become corrupted. In addition to the to not listening to God and to Cain killing his brother, well, they began worshiping idols and things began devolving. At the end of last week's Torah portion, it began on such a high with such promise. The promise of you know, just um, infinite potential, and it ends with God almost regretting that he even made this whole thing called creation and humanity. This is where we pick up the narrative this week. So what I'm going to do is I am going to share my screen with you. And we're going to jump in. There's a lot to cover. Also, this week, we want to start our Haftorah Um New Haftorah, which is uh, which we're going to do on Friday, I think. That's what we said. So we'll we'll make sure to consolidate enough. So let's do one and two today, and we'll we'll already figure out a game plan. Are we doing Haftorah now? I think. No, Torah now, Haftorah on Friday. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to add that. I want to add that. I'm, I, you know, I was thinking about doing shaking it up a little bit more, but I think let's let's do let's keep what we're doing. Add the Haftorah, and let's see if we can add maybe another wrinkle or two. I mean, I. I would love to do like Maimonides, like daily mitzvahs. Okay, well, let's, well, let's add one thing, one feature at a time. We don't want to go too ambitious and, uh, and, and, and not be able to do it. So let's, let me share my screen. Let's all get on the same page. All right, reading number one for the Torah portion of Noah. By the way, in case you're wondering, is it Noah, is it Noah? Honestly, it's all the same. In the Hebrew, it's Noah with a C-H. It's kind of like Hasidic. Is it Hasidic or Hasidic? By the way, because you guys are my like inner group of daily power Parshanites, Parshanites, astronauts, Parsha, Parshaites, I'll let you know that we're about to release information on our upcoming big upcoming event, the Hasidic Superwoman with Judge Ruchi Fryer. We're doing it now because of the holidays. It kind of coming up really quick, so we'll have to do it really, really quick. So you're not going to get a lot of notice about this event. But for the advertisement, I'm putting Hasidic with an H. Hasidic. Because I think that's how most people kind of uh, frame it. But anyway. October October 12th. Like what you are saying on the calendar? Yeah. Like a week from tomorrow night. Yeah. Yeah, it's a Zoom event. So this is, it's going to be Zoom. So who needs that much notice anyway? Just pick up your phone and log on. So that's what we're doing. All right, so let's do this. So Noah, Genesis chapter 6, verse number 9, the Torah portion begins. These are, interesting, okay, these are, which one should I do? I'm going to do the Chumash um, that we have in front of us, and then the online will um, will match it up, more or less. These are the offspring, or generations, of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was perfect or perfectly righteous in relation to his generation. 
Noach walked only with the support of God, or Noach walked with God. Now, Rashi modifies our expectations of Noach. You see, when you just read the Torah simply, there was no greater dude than Noach. He's like a righteous guy walking with God. In his generation, this guy was righteous. And then Rashi says, one sec, and this is, of course, based on the Medrash of the Talmud. You know, he was a, he was a tzaddik, possibly only relative to generation, or relative to a bunch of degenerates. I mean, he was, like, he stood out. But, you know, what does that actually mean? Rashi says there's two opinions. One rabbi in the Talmud says, he was only righteous vis-a-vis -vis this band of misfits. But in, an, in a generation of Abraham, he would have been nothing, right? And the other rabbi says, no, 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 no. If he could be righteous, even amidst all of this. Hey, no worries. If he could be righteous, even amidst the corruption of his generation, could you imagine what he would have been like had he had Abraham as a buddy? Oh, he would have been like a super duper tzaddik. Either way, different opinions, different takes on Noah. Either way, what we know is, certainly in his generation, he was righteous. And I'll tell you this, even if it's like the first opinion that says he was only righteous vis-a-vis -vis his generation, that's still an accomplishment. When everyone's corrupt, you, you, and you, you, you choose to go against, to go counter to the culture, that's a big deal. To stand up for what's right when everyone's doing something wrong, that is a big deal. He, so, he saved humanity. And he saved humanity <laughs> to boot. We're only here because of him. A pretty decent deal, right? Pretty, pretty good guy. So let's continue verse number 10. Uh, Noah fathered, or begot, three sons, Shem, Ham, and Yafet. Let's continue with verse number 11. Now, the earth, this kind of... Um, this kind of takes us back to where we ended off last week's Torah portion. The earth became depraved, or corrupt, and idolatrous before God, and the earth became full of robbery. So there were two primary sins that did humanity in. One was depravity, actually, I'm sorry, three sins. Depravity, which, which is synonymous with immor immorality. So we have immorality, Rashi points out idolatry and robbery. So it's interesting because the two that are mentioned, not the one that Rashi adds, the idolatry, the depravity and the robbery are both sins that, that, that exist between one human being and another human being, right? They're sins between, amongst mankind. <coughs> And this is highly significant because the stuff that's between us and God, God can, as they say, fargin. God can, like, you know, let go. But when it's human on human stuff, that God is less likely to forgive. We find this also at the end of the Torah portion. <coughs> when the people band together and build a tower to fight against God, what does God do? He just destroys the tower. But he does, doesn't destroy the people. And our sages tell us, why, why not? Why, when it came to this, the begin, the, this story, he destroys people and there he didn't? You could say, well, after the flood, he said he wouldn't do it again. Sure, but that's almost like a technicality. What's the difference? The difference is in that story, the tower, the people were banding together. They're only, they're only not foe, but they're only, the antagonism was toward God. 
So God says, all right. <laughs> These guys, all right, whatever. God doesn't get like... Also, I mean, teshuva between, has to be done between two people if someone has harmed another person. Exactly. You can't go to God to forgive on behalf of, uh, of, of that person. But when, when it's between us and God, God says, all right, I'll take care of it. I, I got you on this. I love you. I got you unconditionally. All right. But when it's between human and human, that's, that's a little bit more tricky. So I, I'm only mentioning this so that we understand how important it is that we get along and that we don't hurt each other, right? Sometimes people think, well, as long as I'm, you know, as long as I'm praying to God, as long as I'm wrapping tefillin and, you know, eating kosher, so then I can rip someone off. That's not necessarily the case, right? We need both. We need to be strong in our commitments to God and in our commitment to each other. Let's continue verse 12. And God, as God, God saw the earth, and look, behold, it had become depraved or corrupted. For all flesh, both human and animal, had depraved its nature upon the earth. Um, and Rashi, again, points out it's humans and animals. Sometimes we wonder, why were the animals punished? It wasn't just humans that lost their lives, it was the animals also. Other than the ones that were spared, that were saved on the table, on the ark, all other animal life perished. The question is why? What did the animals do wrong? And again, according to the way we understand Torah, the, the narrative, the animals also became depraved. What does that mean? Animal and animal violence, I guess. Like uh, beyond the ordinary you know, rules of the jungle, the, the, the animals themselves became corrupt. So what's the next conclusion? Verse 13, God said to Noah, so God is now communicating with Noah. We, we haven't seen this yet. We find now the first communication, at least the first, public, the first recorded communication between God and Noah. He says, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth, as the earth has become full of robbery because of them. Again, God is saying clearly, why has the end of all flesh come? Because of the robbery. There are other sins, but it's the robbery that is people on people just not respecting each other's property, etc. That's, that's the straw that's breaking the camel's back, so to speak. And that's it. I'm going to destroy them from the earth or I will destroy them with the earth, as Rashi says. It could either be I'm going to destroy them from the face of the earth or I'm going to destroy them together with a little bit of the earth. It says that there was a certain depth of soil that was also destroyed in the flood. As we can imagine, you know, when you have a flood, a hurricane that rips through, it also, you know, destroys some of the, some of the soil or the topsoil. In this case, God is saying clearly, alluding to the fact at least, that the, the earth is also going to be disrupted. Let's continue verse 14. So God therefore says to Noah, you should make an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the, uh, by the way, here's an idea. You ready? Yep. Donna, a jewelry idea. Drum roll. Maybe, for all the jewelry, you create a wooden box, a jewelry box. Beautiful. Go for wood. Nice. I was just thinking that because, you know, I found family from the Michigan wood. I found... Oh, you did? Yes. Oh, interesting. So I was just... Yes. Huh? I don't know if that was... That was... Um, Acacia. Yeah, Acacia wood. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I found a derivative, you know, 
a derivative of that, a family, yeah. It's within the family. It's in the family tree. Yes. Oh, wow, I'm here all week. <laughs> that wood is in the family so tree. So I okay. can look to see. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right. Listen, I'm not giving you work. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know. Uh, those of us that have several pieces of jewelry, a nice display box. I'm, I'm not wrong here, right? A nice yeah. display box. Yeah. But I don't know if you woodworking is a different geschäft. I don't know. You could source it. Yes, I could ah. collaborate. And maybe we'll do like a like a like a nice wood branding. Yes. With the, yeah, we, how about cattle pro? No, not a cattle pro. God forbid, like a ch- logo. Yeah, right. JA little <laughs> insignia action. All right, yeah. we got a whole vision. Yeah. Okay, good. So, <laughs> you should make an arc. Arc is a bo- is a means a box. Oh, it means a box. Yeah, that's. I mean, arc in this case is a box. Like the Ark of the Covenant was the box that held the tablets. This is an Ark of gopher wood that would float. This would be a floating box. Let's continue verse 14. You should make the Ark with compartments. Right? It should, be, it should have compartments. And you shall coat both the inside and the outside with tar. I see in the online version it says pitch. Pitch or tar. Honestly, I wouldn't know the difference. I would imagine it's whatever makes it not so leaky. That's going to be the objective here. When you have a flood, and now you have a wooden box, you probably don't want it to leak. That would undo the whole point of having this box. Let's continue. Verse number 15. What about the dimensions? I know you're wondering, how big is the ark? Here we go. This is how you should make it. The Torah, God says to Noah, the length of the ark should be 300 cubits. I'm going to give you feet in a moment. So 300 cubits is its length. Its breadth is 50 cubits, and its height is 30 cubits. So here we go. Let me explain what that is in feet. Every cubit, which is ama in Hebrew, every cubit is, well, there's actually a dispute amongst the rabbis as to what exactly it is. One of the more common definitions is 18 inches, a foot and a half. So if you have an ark boat, a box boat, that is 300 cubits long, so what is that? That's 450 feet. So Does that make it a super yacht? Do we know the dimension? Huh? Sorry? You say one cubic, 18 inches, one cubit? Yeah, foot and a half. Foot, okay. Okay, so it's basically 1 to 1.5. So if it's 300 cubits, it's 450, huh? Um, in meters. Meters is three feet, right? About three feet. So it would be 225 meters, approximately. I think. So I, I have changed. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. That's wrong. It would be 150 meters, maybe. My pendants come on chains, and I say, you know, 18 inch chain. I right. can say one cubit length chain. See that? You got a cubit. You got an ama chain. Exactly. Um, so it's about 450 feet long. That's right? definitely a super yacht, yes. It's super, yeah, it's a huge, huge ship, right? Or floating device. 450 long, 75 feet wide. And then about 45 tall. That's a pretty large apparatus. It's a pretty large vessel. Let's call it vessel. That's a very large vessel. But it wasn't made to be aerodynamic. It didn't have like a... Because why not? What's the simple answer? We didn't have the technology. Not only that. There was no water. No, there was a flood. But why, why, why was it made aerodynamic? It was supposed to stay on top. It wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. Oh. It was just it just it was, needed to float. 
It didn't need, it was docked in the water. It didn't need to go. It's not like, Noah's like, we're going to discover America. It's, it wasn't, he wasn't going anywhere. It was just, just needed to float, right? And maximize your space. So, so when, did you th- when did the notion of it looking like a cute little round boat you know. Oh, and artist depictions. We have it depicted as a boat. Ah, that's all Baba my dad. Who knows who came up with that? I don't know. It's like, how did Adam and Eve get a get an apple? They didn't eat an apple. It's just like, it's it's what everyone believes is, is what the thing was. So, the ark. Anyway, but so the ark was a box, straight up a box. So, think of it like, a, I mean, it's not to scale, but, you know, 450 feet, 75 feet, and about 45 feet tall, a floating, and at three compartments, three floors. One, two, three. Let's continue inside. Verse number 16. If you have a chumash, we're on page now 43. And now we get to the crystal luminescent stone. Verse 16. You shall make a light or a skylight for the ark. Two opinions, which I'm going to explain in a moment. You should finish it, slanting a cubit high at the top. You should place the entrance of the ark at its side. You shall make it with a bottom, second, and third stories. So we have a bunch of details in verse 16. They're all very important. Number one, you need a light. Number two, you need a door. Number three, three compartments. And now it's clarif- God's clarifying what these compartments, he said before three compartments. It doesn't mean compartments like... Um, you know, like rooms, like one, two, three, side by side, but it's three stories. And that's what's clarified in this verse 16 is that there are actually three levels, not just three chambers, but three levels. So let me explain. Let's go through all three ideas. Well, um, yeah, number one is the light. You need a light in the ark. So Rashi says, the the Hebrew word here is Sohar. And I'm going to highlight it online so you can see it online. Sohar is the Hebrew word here for skylight or for light. In the, in the Chumash, you can see it on page 42, on the top line, last word on the line is Tzohar. Tzohar means, Tzohar sounds like Zohar, mm. right? Which is the book of radiance. Because the Tzaddik and the Zion, although they're different letters, but they sound similar and they can, they're also somewhat interchangeable. Tzohar, like Zohar, means radiance or illumination. So God is telling Noah to make a tzohar a point of radiance. Rashi says there are different opinions about this. One opinion is <coughs> that God commanded him to make a skylight in the roof. The second opinion is that God told Noah to hang a precious gem that would radiate light in the ark. So again, these are the two opinions. Rashi, I'm going to read Rashi um, in the Hebrew. Yesh omrim chalon, some say a skylight. Yesh omrim, and some say evan tova hameir lahem. It was a beautiful stone that provided them with light, which is a, an absolutely incredible thing. According to the opinion that it was a stone, what kind of stone produces its own light? Crystal. Oh, but it needs to refract. It needs to refract light, right? So what kind of stone is it that, like, on its own generates light that doesn't exist in the world that we know. So either it was a stone that provided its own light or there was also a skylight or another window that brought the light in and that refracted the light and just allowed it to dazzle. Either way, 
I love that. The, I, I love to picture kind of like a disco ball in this arc, <laughs> right? This kind of like hanging, you know, stone that's refracting light in cool ways. That's what I, yeah, or like the Ner Tamid, right? Like we have by the ark, in front of the in front of our ark. At the top, we have uh, the eternal light. Eternal lights, by the way. Some synagogues have one light. We've definitely upped the ante here. We have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Shemit Israel is from um, someone made like it's um, natural light. Yeah, yeah. That, oh. That make the light work. It's a sky. It's a skylight above it. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. yeah. So I th I feel like that's kind of what this was, like a skylight. Maybe it's just me trying to combine both interpretations, but it's kind of like a skylight that also refracted. Um, there is a there is if you have the um, if you have the the chumash, so ra, um, the Rebbe deals with this question, right? The Rebbe deals with the question about about the the, the window versus the versus the stone. You know, all that sort of thing. And ultimately, the Rebbe says this wasn't the only source of light. This was just meant to be one specific source of light. In addition to, obviously, you needed more light in this arc. Whatever, however they got light, they created, I'm sure, many windows or, you know. What does that mean? There was no sun or moon? Um, well, there was a point in time, it seems, where the sun and the moon kind of were a little wonky. It says that, like, the seasons were messed up during the flood. So it seems like there was some disruption in that as well. Okay, let's continue with verse 17. All right, and God says to Noah, this is all God's monologue, if you will, to Noah. So verse 17, um, I am ready to consent to man's destruction. In other words, I'm ready to go ahead with this plan and bring a flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh beneath the skies in which there is, a spirit, in which there is the spirit of life. In other words, everything that is alive on planet Earth will die. All that is upon Earth will perish. Verse number 18. I will set up my covenant with you. So God says, look, everyone else, <coughs> everything else will be destroyed. But my covenant, and covenant, of course, is a, is a, um, a very popular word in Torah. This idea of bris, this idea of um, an agreement. You know, like we have... Uh, we have a relationship. So God says, I have a covenant. I'm going to create a covenant with you, Noah, Noah, and you will come into the ark. Your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And I need to mention this. This is a very important thing. Look at, again, look at verse 18. So who, who will be saved on the ark? God says to Noah, you, Noah, your sons, your three sons, your wife, Nama, we had her before, and your son's wives. It's, it's, it's uh, delineated or, or uh, distinguished by gender. So the Torah, God says to Noah, you and your sons, your wife, and your daughters-in-law. So the genders are segregated. Our sages tell us this is where God was alluding to Noah that the genders should be separate on the ark vis-a-vis -vis intimacy. No engaging in acts of intimacy on the ark. From here we derive a, um, a lesson, a, 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 a Jewish legal precept, which is essentially when there is you know, calamity or in a time of mourning, a time of sadness or whatever it is, it's not appropriate to engage in 
intimacy, acts of intimacy, at a time when, so for example, if somebody, God forbid, is in Avil, is in mourning, you know, the Shiva, whatever, that would be one of the prohibitions of Shiva, um, because it's just not, simply not, not the appropriate time. And that's what God is telling Noah here, who's going to go in the ark, you and your sons, your wife, and their wives. And just no fraternizing too, too closely. Let's continue verse number 19. Now, from every living, oh, wow. Here we have a very interesting little parenthesis in the Chumash. From every living demon. <laughs> demon? Why are we talking about demons? Okay. Basically, Judaism talks about spirits. It's something that I, I would say is not like the most popular point of conversation. It's not like we talk about spirits and angels and demons on a regular basis, although we have done courses on this in the past. Um, I feel like, did Mrs. Freeman do one on demons? She did. Was it last, it was two years ago. She did Kabbalah of the Supernatural. Yeah. Angels, demons. She, yeah, for sure. It was two years ago, for sure. Because she did it in person and we didn't do it last year in person. So yeah, for sure it was done in person. Um, you could probably find the recordings on our podcast, um, Knowledge on the Deeper Side, SoundCloud page, Intent Jewish Academy, maybe YouTube. I don't think we videoed it, so it would just be the audio. So check that out for more demon-related um, discussion. But there is this idea that God created spirits that are disembodied. In other words, we know about souls and bodies, and we know about even stones have a soul, like every living being even inanimate, has a soul. But there are also spirits that are not at all in a physical case, that are just spirits. Angels and ephemeral. And maybe not so kind forces. Anyway, so back to verse 19. And of all living things, every living demon from all flesh, you shall bring two of each species into the ark to keep alive with you. They shall be male and female. So every living creature, every living spirit was meant to have two representatives, one male, one female, on the ark. Now the obvious reason is for procreation. Not on the ark, because what was commanded to know was also commanded to the animals. And there were animals that violated this, including, I believe, the raven. According to tradition, the raven violated this uh, prohibition. Nonetheless, after the flood will be over, after life will resume, procreation will happen, having spared the male and the female of these items. Verse 20. From the birds, which had only bred with their own species, from the animals, which had only bred with their own species, and from every creeping thing on the ground, which had only bred with their own species. In other words, let me just explain. Remember I said before that the animals had also engaged in immorality and corruption? So according to our sages, it means that there were interspecies let's call them relationships that had sprung up. Now, it was the human being that caused the downfall through, their, through the human corruption, but it had filtered into other forms of life. And thus, those that had really become corrupted, it seems like those species weren't spared. It was only the species that had not engaged in full-on intergalactic, we'll just call it intergalactic relationships that were, I don't mean galactic literally, but that were interspecies relationships that were spared. So the birds, the animals, and the creeping things on the ground. So again, two of each will come to you of their own accord to be kept alive. That is what was supposed to happen, two of each. Verse 21, 
And as for you, take for yourself from every edible food and bring it with you. It will be for you and for them to eat. So obviously, God is telling Noah, don't forget the food, right? God sounds like a Jewish mother here. Don't forget to pack food for your journey. How long, by the way, were they going to be on the ark? I don't know that Noah knew this going in, but it was about 12 months. It was about a full year on the ark, which is a long time on the ark. Yeah? You ever been on a cruise? Who's been on a cruise? Raise of hand. Cruise, cruise, cruise. Okay. I've never been on a cruise. I've been on a, well, I don't know, does the New York Harbor cruise count as a cruise? Because I, I did, no, then, then the answer is no. Chicago also has one. Pittsburgh also has one. Did you know my sister got married on a boat? No. Legit, in the Three Rivers. You know Three Rivers Stadium or whatever? Through the, at the confluence of the Three Rivers, the Monongahela, Allegheny, and the Ohio River, my older sister, got married on a boat. And literally, if you were late to the wedding, you know what happened? You missed the boat. It was like the only, like the one time you get, I remember like the boat was leaving and there were guys, like probably like friends of the groom from New York, like just like, ah, like trying to get on. Now, I mean, it came back, but the Jewish law is totally parenthetical. We're speaking about arcs and boats and now weddings apparently. So um, Jewish law says you cannot get married in a boat. So how do you do that? Well, it has to be anchored. It can't be, you can't, basically can't get married. You can't have a chuppah on a moving, <laughs> it can't be a moving chuppah. So they anchored it in the middle of the rivers. It's actually very beautiful. That was it. Very unique, uh, unique hall for the wedding. H-A-L-L, you know, unique uh, venue. All right, let's continue. Um, so basically God tells Noah in verse 21 about the food. Let's continue with verse 22. Um, page 45 in the Chumash, Noah did this, he made the ark, he did everything that God had commanded him to do. Now, here's the one thing that we have to mention, which I mentioned so many times in different contexts, and that is that Noah did not go to bat for humanity. That verse 22, it sounds like it's complimentary. He did everything that God asked him to. The problem is, that's all he did. He didn't go beyond what God had asked him to. Right. God said, by the way, Noah, I'm going to destroy everything and everyone. You're going to be spared, you and your family and the animals, or you're going to be the caretaker for, you know, until, until the destruction is over. And Noah says, sure, no problem. You know, just let me know what you need me to do. He's not taking his own initiative, not taking responsibility for humanity. This becomes the model that we don't follow. In other words, it, when, when, we, when we hear about someone else, when we hear about someone else, a challenge, a misfortune, a tragedy, whatever it is, to say, oh well, not my issue. That's not, that's not the Jewish way. That's why Noah is not considered to be the first Jew. Because that's not a Jewish response. Now, let me just clarify. I don't mean that only Jews respond with responsibility and, and those that aren't Jewish don't. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. What I am saying is, that this value is not the value that will spawn, if you will, the Jewish people. The value that spawns our people is the value of Abraham, which Abraham taught us how to stand up for those that are at risk. When God tells Abraham about destroying Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham says, wait, not so fast. Starts negotiating with God. What if there are 50 righteous people? Would you spare? 
Okay, what about 45? 40. Do I hear a heyo for 30? 20. 10. God said, yes, if there were 10 righteous people, I wouldn't do it. But there aren't. So Abraham packed up, his, you know, folded his cards and walked away. But he tried. Now Moses takes it a step further. Moses said to God, it doesn't matter if there's not any righteous people. Forgive or I'm out. See you. I'm about, I'm going to walk out of this, take my name, Moses says, out of Torah, erase my name from Torah, if you don't forgive the Jewish people. So here we have a tale of three, of three forms of leadership or whatever. Noah, who doesn't take any responsibility, essentially. Hold on. He saved the world, saved humanity, preserved the animals. He did a lot of good stuff. Let's not, let's not, you know. He did what God instructed. But he only did what he was told. He didn't show any personal concern or care. It wasn't, and, and, and that didn't lead to initiative. In other words, when you do a job because you have to do a job, so you just do it. You do the bare minimum versus doing it because you, you're passionate about it. So Noah just did what he was told. Abraham went beyond, but when he was told no, he stopped. Moses, when he was told no, kept on going. And what's the ultimate message? Be like Moses. right? Don't take no for an answer. <laughs> Give God an ultimatum. God loves that. God loves the human spunk and uh, it's also sort and of like, initiative. You know, we, we know that just doing the physical mitzvah is not enough. The instruction to do the physical we need to have it in our lives, those principles. Exactly right. It's not enough just to do the mechanics of the mitzvah, but it's about the experience. And this is, you know, God says to know, build an ark, take the animals on it, take food, and take care of everyone. Okay, boss, I'll do it. But that's the, is that what God wants? Just a yes person? God wants someone to say, wait a second, God. Are you sure about this? Right? Let's, let's, let's negotiate. Let's, you know, some sort of, the Torah doesn't record anything. So we call in Hasidic language, Noah, we call him at tzaddik and pelts. You've heard me say this before. Tzaddik, pelt is like um, fur. He's a tzaddik in a fur coat, which... When it's, cold out, when it's cold in the house, there's two ways to, to get warm. One is to put on a fur coat. The other one is to light a fire. So what's the difference? When you put on a fur coat, who's warm? Only you. When you light a fire, everyone in the house, or at least in that room, is warm. And so Noah was just about himself and his family and whatever he was told to do. Like, I'm safe. I don't care what happens to everyone else. Abraham lit a fire. Moses lit a fire. They were concerned not just for self, but for the other as well. And that's ultimately the message. So the, the, um, the limitation that we have with Noah is really an inspiration for us to go beyond. Now, it's not, not, I'm not blaming him. Maybe he didn't know. Maybe Abraham built off of the, uh, the, 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 the Noah experience. Joy, jump in. Abraham and Moses were Jewish. Noah wasn't. Right. Well, Abraham becomes the first Jew almost because he exemplified this type, of, this type of care and concern. Which means, you know what it's like? It's like the Kazakhs' horses. You know about a Kazakhs' horse? You know what the Kazakhs were? Mm -hmm. The Kazakhs were a fierce band of like Russian like looters and, and, and pillagers. They weren't the nicest people. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they lived around the communities sometimes that the Chassidim lived, Chabad Chassidim. And there's lots of great stories from the Kazakhs that we've learned lessons from. So there was once a great Chabad Chassid in the old country who learned the lesson from the Kazakh sources. What's the lesson? He was once at a bar. Because, you know, got to stay warm. 
in Russia. And, and there's only one way sometimes, when there's no coat and no wood, right? <laughs> right? Tzadik in, uh, in vodka, not the tzadik in pelts. Or the vodka's in you. Reminds me of a story, there were two chassidim that were stuck on the side of the road, and a wagon comes by, and they say, hey, can we hitch a ride? Sure, but I got stuff in the back. There's no space in the wagon. I only have like an open wagon with stuff. So they said, no problem. At least we'll, you know, we'll catch a ride. We'll get past to where we need to go. And uh, turns out the wagon was carrying bottles of mashka, bottles of vodka, uh, barrels of vodka. And they were looking at each other and say, but they were freezing on the wagon, saying, ah, you could be so close to something, but if it's not inside, it doesn't warm you up. The message in life is, you could be close to Torah, to Yiddishkeit, but if you, don't, if you don't take it in, it doesn't warm you up. Anyway, so it's about proximity versus uh, internalizing. internalizing. Proximity is good, but even better to internalize. But that takes me back to the Kazakh's horses. So what happened with the Kazakh's horses? So a Kazakh once told the Chasta the following at a bar. He said, you know how we get our horses? How do we choose the Kazakh horses that will be the ones that ride us as we, you know, pillage a village? I'm not condoning this behavior, just saying. How do we, how do we choose the Kazakh horse? We take our own horses and we, we find in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere, we find a, a pack of wild horses. And we surround them. And we drive them. We drive them toward the river. A raging river. We drive, and, and these Wild horses are strong and unbridled to run. Just, we drive them to the river and we force them into the river. The weak and the older horses die. They get swept away, they drown. The strongest horses, only the strongest horses are the ones that can fight the currents of the river and get through to the other side. But that's still not what a Kazakh horse is. You know what a Kazakh horse is? A Kazakh's horse and maybe the story was told by a Kazakh that was in Siberia with Reb Mendel Futterfast. That may be the origin of the story. Reb Mendel Futterfast was a Chassid who was imprisoned in Siberia for like a decade or more and he had a lot of stories. This might have been a Kazakh who was reminiscing, crying about his horse. You don't understand. The ones that went to the other side still weren't the Kazakh horses. You know how you got a Kazakh horse? It's those horses that went to the other side and then turned around, went back into the river and schlepped out other horses that were drowning. That's a Kazakh horse. A Kazakh horse is a horse that goes back in and saves another horse. Now, you would think that the Kazakhs would be the most moral and giving people and they weren't, they were brute, they were strong, but their horses didn't leave, weren't content to save themselves they went back into the water, back into the danger. They were first responders. They went back in to pull out the other horses. And, and Noah didn't do that. He wasn't a Kazakh horse. Maybe that's a compliment also. <laughs> Maybe somehow it's a compliment. But it's also a bit of a criticism. He didn't go back in to save others from the flood. He just didn't. It wasn't his concern. In no part of the story does he ever express any concern about Humanity, about others, about life, human or animal. Other than the ones, that the representatives, the two of each that he was saving. That's it. Anyway, a lesson for us, the bottom line is that it's enough about Noah. The lesson for us is, it's nice to get through life and be okay. What's even nicer is to be a Kazakh's horse, is to go back in 
and to help someone else. Struggling physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, etc. Let's continue reading two. Let's see, what, let's see how much we can do in reading two. It's a little bit, uh, okay, let's, let's, uh, we have a few minutes, let's, let's keep on going. Genesis chapter 7, reading number 2. In the Chumash, it's page 45. God said to Noah, come into the ark. All right, he built the ark. Now it's time to go in. Come into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen you as a righteous man before me in this generation. From all the species of animals that are pure in Jewish law, you shall take for yourself seven pairs. Aha! Here we go. Now we have kosher. Kosher gets mixed into this conversation. All kosher animals. Noah was supposed to take not just two, a male and a female, but seven pairs of male and female. Not two, seven times two. Are you with me on this? Every animal, a lion, right? A male and a female lion. But a cow, seven males, seven females. And from the species of animals that are not pure in Jewish law, two animals, a male and a female. That's what I said before. Verse 3. Also from the birds of the skies that are pure, that are kosher, take seven pairs, male and female, to keep their seed alive on the face of the earth. Why does God say all of this? Verse number 4. 4. And in other seven days, I will make it rain upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And I will wash away from off the face of the earth all existence that I have made. Everything is going to be erased, blotted out, destroyed, wiped away, etched, sketched out. Now, very important. It says 40 days, 40 nights. That's why most of us, most people believe that the flood, the duration was 40 days and 40 nights. That's not what it says. What it says is it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. But that doesn't speak to how long the floodwaters will remain flooded. If anybody saw those videos and images from New York a few weeks ago, right, you saw that, that big flood, um, the big rains? When was it? Oh, it was after, oh right, it was right after, right, it was at, right after Sandrine went, right before uh, Rosh Hashanah. So I, at Crown Heights got hit, basements were flooded, streets were flooded, cars were floating, it was crazy, right? And we've seen this in other, you know, certainly in, 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 around the country and around the world, countless times, flooding. Flooding happens typically after the rain stops. The rain stops, I mean, or, or while the rain is going, but it's even after the rain stops, flooding could be going on for a while. The flood, it, when did it finally recede totally? One, it took a full year to recede. So it rained for 40 days, 40 nights, but it remained flooded in various degrees for, a full, for basically a full year. If you want to know the timeline on this, I believe after the Torah portion of Noah, or in the back of the Chumash, it has like a bit of a timeline that you can check out. Oh, here, chronology of the flood in our Chumash on page 65. If you want to see the timeline, here it is, page 65 in your Chumash, if you have one of these Gunnic editions in front of you. Okay? This morning in the forward, I just read the title, but we were talking about how some people think they found where it was. Mm. The Ark. Yeah. Was it Turkey? I know there's famously a place in Turkey that they say is where the Ark, Ark was, but who knows? Who knows? All right, let's continue. Verse number, uh, verse number five. So basically God said it's going to be 40 days, 40 nights of rain. Verse number five. Noah obeyed. Noah did this coming into the Ark according to all that God had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood water came upon the earth. He was 480, he was old. When God told him to build the ark, it took him 120 years. When he was 600 years old, that's when 
the flood came down. That's when the flood began. Verse 7. Noah, his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, again, gender, divided by gender, Noah, his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, went uh, with him, eventually went into the ark, when they were forced to because of the floodwaters. In other words, they didn't want to go in until the last second, when it started really coming down, and then they went inside. From the pure animals, and from the animals that are not pure, from the birds, and from all the creeps on the earth, two by two. Two by two, they came to Noah into the ark, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And then, after seven days, the floodwaters were on the earth. He went in, and it took about seven days for things really to kick in. Verse number 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, all the wellsprings of the great depths, by the way, second month, would be, um, is it Cheshvan or is it Er? I'm going to say it's probably, it's probably the second month from Tishrei, right? Let's see, hold on. Oh, yeah, yeah, Cheshvan or Er. Oh, <laughs> Rashi says there's a dispute. One rabbi says it's Cheshvan. This month that we're in right now. Oh, sorry, the month that we're about to start this week. And Rabbi Shua says it's ER. Okay, depends on which is the second month. Second month from the, the new year or from Passover, which didn't happen yet in the story, but might be considered in Torah the second month. Okay, fine. Back to our story. So it was the second month, 17th day of the month, that the wellsprings of the great depths burst forth and the apertures, I love that word, the apertures of the skies opened up. So basically there was water coming in from below and from above. It didn't just rain from above. It also, the waters beneath the earth, like all the springs, the natural springs beneath the earth, they all came up. So it was, it was uh, freilich. It was uh, waters here, waters there. It was crazy. It was, it was uh, all over the place. Verse number 12, there was rain on earth, as we said, on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Let's continue. Verse number 13. And yeah, we're going to finish this reading. Just give me another, it's just a th four more verses. On that very day, which Rashi says means in view of, in full view of the generation, of the wicked generation. In other words, in, in public view, Noah came into the ark with Shem, Cham, and Yafes, Noah's sons, together with Noah's wife and his sons, three wives. Again, divided by gender. They came, by the way, I keep on mentioning this divided by gender because again, it was, it was a big, a, a big um, prohibition for a full year. On, on these people in close quarters. I also do want to mention, and all, on the animals as well, but I also want to mention that when God tells Noah to leave the ark, he says, at the end of the year, he says, leave the ark, you and your wife, your sons and their wives, putting the gender, putting the, the, the couples together. So that was the allow, the, the, the wink basically saying, or the nod saying, all right, you can, uh, you can resume um, that, uh, that element of life. Let's continue with verse 14. They came with every wild animal which had only bred with its own species, every domesticated animal which had only bred with its own species, every creeping thing that creeps in the earth which had only bred with its own species, every bird which had only bred with its, with its own species, and every winged creature, i.e. grasshoppers. So again, those animals that had gone outside of their own species did not end up represented on the ark and did not survive. So 
could there be fossils in other animals? And could those fossils have been compressed with the pressure of the waters, for the flood waters from below and above? Could that have created data? I know I'm getting into like now other topics, which I'm going to quickly extract myself out of. But nonetheless, could there be signs of other forms of life that didn't survive the flood? Not only could there be, the Torah is basically saying that there were. Because <coughs> only certain animals were saved. So the animals that exist today are only the ones that had respected certain boundaries of their own family life, so to speak. Let's continue, verse 15. Um, <coughs> From all flesh in which there is the spirit of life, they came to Noah, to the ark, two by two. Verse 16. Um, From all flesh they came, male and female, as God had commanded him. God closed off the ark with bears and lions for protection in front of him. Basically, God stationed wild animals outside the ark to prevent others from beating down the doors and jumping on or breaking the ark. So, and did those animals survive? I don't know, maybe they were just a protection. It's like, see you guys, thank you very much for protecting the ark, gotta run. This thing's getting kinda, kinda hectic. Or maybe they were the bears and lions that, that were the last ones in. They went boo, everyone ran away, iron, door closed, waters begin. This is the story of the great flood. There's so much to talk about. Today, look, you know, we have a limited amount of time, and I do want to close it out now. Tomorrow, we're going to get into the mystical understanding of this story. There's a practical, you know, the more um, practical account of what happened and with some deeper insights. But I do want to get into a completely different take on this whole story, which I've certainly we've talked about in different contexts before, but it's very important to mention. So stay, come back tomorrow, 12 o'clock, on Zoom only for daily power parsha as we get as we study the third reading and go a little bit deeper into the story the story is incredible i I will say the whole story is incredible it's um it's a whale of a tale oh speaking of incredible stories i know you guys love a good story thursday night curious tales of the talmud part two you guys are going to love this we're going to we're going to get into the most bizarre puzzling enigmatic confounding absurd tales of the Talmud, and break them down according to classic Jewish wisdom as well as mystical Jewish understanding to extract practical life lessons for us. You do not want to miss this. If you don't know what this course is about, just try it. Thursday night, 8 p.m., Curious Tales of the Talmud, Part 2, The Swashbuckling Adventure, continues. I spent so much time trying to figure out like what I should call it. Just two or like the adventure continues, or, you know, the pirate's revenge. I don't know, I don't want to channel too much Pirates of the Caribbean, but nonetheless. All the right. stories are very nice inspiration for artwork that it comes with. Oh yeah, oh yeah, especially we got some really cool stuff coming up. All right, Joy, all good? Torah class in person yes. Wednesday? Yes, yes, Torah, thank you for reminding me. Torah studies Wednesday night, the great return of Torah studies. We've been off for a few weeks, yeah. right, for the holidays. Um, although we had like high holiday boot camp, but that was like on Sundays. We're back to Wednesday night, so this Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m., on Zoom, in person. Noah portion? Noah, yeah, this week's Torah portion. Yeah, we got a class, um, really special class. So join us for that, that's big. All right, good. Joy, great to see you. Sarah, all good? Yes, very awesome. good, thank you. All right, great. Great, great, great. Great to have you guys here. Great to see you. Um, all right, we'll see you tomorrow, please, God. Same bat time, same bat channel. Take care, everyone. 
Have a good day. Thank you, Robert. Pleasure. All right. Questions, comments? Mm -hmm.